0: hey chris welcome to bite-sized i appreciate you jumping on yeah it is my pleasure my pleasure awesome so you're a legend in the game i know you very well but uh for anybody who doesn't why don't you give a quick intro into you your career to date and and what you're focused on moving forward yeah
1: definitely so i'm uh, probably the newest member to the mint team um, i'm heading up our strategy and super excited to be on board. Um, My background is I've been in e-comm for a while now and marketing for 10 years in e-comm probably the last six or seven years. Um, My last agency I was at was Common Thread Collective. Uh, It was originally based in Orange County. Now it's kind of all over, you know, post pandemic remote world, it's everywhere. Um, But I started there as the strategist number two on a team of 15 people, grew with them to 160 people and ended up leading our growth strategy department, and had you know ten strategists, two managers, managers under me, and um, and really got to learn firsthand kind of the the com game um, from tiny clients to big players like Wilson Sports. Um, kind of got to see the whole gamut. So uh, it's been a been a journey. And then um, more recently, they've been helping even before Mint, helping a brand called Make the Label uh, navigate the growth, uh, taking a really great sustainable brand. And say, how do we expand growth? How do we do that in a way that's going to help us set up for future retail, all that fun stuff? So I've been helping out with digital growth for um, to label. So that's a bit of the story to this point. Uh, and now I'm on board to help us take Mint to the next level.
0: Yes, quite quite the resume. We're very we're very lucky to have you. <laughs> um, so with 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 that being said, let's do a quick state of the union. So you know, DTC e-commerce during the pandemic, post pandemic. What's what's your take on where the ecosystem is at the moment and uh, all the market shifts and how's that shaping your thinking of where e-commerce mm-hmm. and DTC is going into 2023?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom happening right now. Oh, now e-commerce over, DTC dead and everyone just, you know, run to retail, which is fun and it makes the clicks work on LinkedIn. But I think I think it's a bit overblown. Um, so I think 2020, 2021 showed us just the potential these systems have. Um, and so obviously we saw that massive boom. Some brands just had phenomenal growth. I know that even brands of mate just saw, you know, things like sweatpants just fly off the shelves. And so I think we're seeing a contraction and that, that totally makes sense for where things are today. Um, you know, a lot of brands, especially right now are feeling some pain. I think as we're recording this uh, November, retail sales dropped 0.6% in the U.S., which is not a small number. It sounds small, but it's it's a pretty significant drop. And so we see this boom of 2020, 2021 to then December, like now, November, where we're seeing consumers kind of slowing down the purchases, acquisitions expensive. Um, I'm still bullish on e-commerce. Um, if you look at the trend line, it's growing. It's not contracting we just stepped back a little step back over this last year but overall we're up and still growing in e-com so i think the uh, is dead retail's the future that's a little overblown Um, i think it's just we don't see that quite the efficiency and the arbitrage saw before Um, but there's still a massive future for e-com
0: yeah i think as well a a lot of brands and, and companies they saw that big boom during the pandemic and made some misassumptions around where that trend line would continue afterwards right when when the world normalized slightly again and so to say it's down is is it actually down as to where it was going to go if there had been no pandemic or is it down against the highs of the inflated kind of you know inflated e-commerce success that people were seeing during the pandemic
1: Absolutely. You know, I think everyone I had a conversation with in 2020, the 2021, I said, don't base your forecast on 2020. And everyone nodded and said, absolutely, we're not going to do that. And they bought way too much inventory. Yeah. Um, and so that created this other issue. I think that's making it really hard where you have brands who had way too much inventory. I mean, even big box stores had this problem. Target had way too much inventory and for the first time had to really liquidate and push through um, products just because they had so much on the shelves and so yeah absolutely it's it's a little bit of a reaction and i think we're still in it to be quite honest i think right now with brands there's a reaction to oh no inflation oh no interest rates um let's just pull back on all the spend let's pull back on all the marketing dollars so we can just hunker down and make it through yeah. But that's kind of a flawed logic. It's an idea that there won't be new competitors that will show up. There's yeah. a sense that people are thinking, oh, there won't be other markets that open up that will take that spot. Um, so I think the reaction is still happening for a lot of brands reading too many headlines.
0: Yeah. There's that, there's that chart I saw. I think it was an Ogilvy piece of data. Um, what happens when brands stop marketing and it's just a steady decline of, of revenue? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think... Yeah. I understand, you know, understand the nervousness when you look at macroeconomic conditions, but you still got to find efficiencies, find a way of still being relevant, getting in front of potential consumers, versus to your phrase, hunkering down too much because uh, you're, you're going to get mm-hmm. at a standstill, you're going to stagnate.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really easy to be pessimistic because it, you know, shifts some of the blame away from just you know decision making and long term thinking. Um, if it's old market conditions, then it's not your fault. But I think there's a, a small corner of optimists who are seeing where we are. If we kind of zoom out from a technology standpoint, we have more tools than ever, even over the last two years developed. I'm thinking about some of the first party data solutions we have. I mean, the guys at NoCommerce are doing a great job helping people figure out the attribution problem um yeah. using very simple tools you know I think about even Shopify in the last few years dropping the cost for new consumers to start you know to start stores and, and removing yeah. that kind of barrier to entry. So there's so much in our favor. Yeah. Um but you know it's not the thing that you're gonna find in New York Times saying, hey, it's I think it's a great it's a sense of yeah um it's gonna be tough to start a brand today, which look it's never been easy to grow a brand. But it's a little easier than once before, if we have to be honest.
0: True, yeah, true. We forget that. We forget that, right? You mentioned the the tech tools. I mean, we partner with Triple Well, um, which is a great mm-hmm. job. That type of data wasn't available in in such a no. clear, easy, single dashboard kind of way. So, yes, the it, the, the game has changed a bit, but there's a lot more tools that actually help us. Um, so you're you're bullish on e-com still for next year, which yes. is good to hear um so making that down a bit more a bit more granular what are the biggest opportunities for brands
1: yeah absolutely yeah i think as you even mentioned triple whale and, and tools like that i think we wouldn't even see the explosion of the north beams and triple whales unless we had the ios 14 issue i think when things were great and it was just simpler to run ads, you don't have to worry about attribution. You're like, oh, just spend the money and then it's fine. Yeah. What I think it's done is it's forced all of us to like consider some of these challenges and do good marketing. Um, and so one of the things I'll say is um, first party data has not been a new idea of us owning our own data set and understanding our customers. It's not new, but to DC people, it kind of is in a sense that we never really had to, we just trusted you know the all-knowing algorithm to find the customer and who cares what? We don't have to know them. It knows them. And I think that's the first thing that's an opportunity is this deep um, understanding of customers is almost going back to first principles of as an e-com store, you have direct access. You don't have a big box between you and the customer that's going to filter out the data and, and maybe get some self information. You have direct access. And so we see this and I'm maybe jumping ahead. But we see this in things like building communities. That's core. To understand what they care about is going to be the future of growth for most brands. And so first-party data, understanding your customer base is a huge opportunity um, moving forward. Yeah, agreed. You know, another one I'll uh, I'll add in that is, um, you know, we see brands even saying as much as, you know, privacy and protections coming in with that. So that's being forced by those changes and shifts to a privacy-first world. It is a sense of saying, can we provide enough value so that people are willing to share what they want to share with us? And that's not just a given that people are just going to hand you their information, but saying, can we create an exchange, which is pushing a ton of effort and energy to top of funnel? So instead of it being just about transaction, it's saying, Hey, we need to build enough trust. So that when they show up, they're willing to give us something of information around who they are, what they care about, and ultimately then the purchase. Um, yeah. so we can stay in touch with them. So I think that's also causing a shift in market. That is a huge super opportunity for DC brands who have typically been super bottom of the funnel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we speak a lot about, right? That c- convergence or unity of traditionally separated brand and performance, um, Keen to just have you expand on how you're thinking about that moving into next year, yeah. just, the, just the future of the space. You know, I, I think I did a post about it on LinkedIn. You know, I think brand and performance is in the separation has been a construct of budgets and teams and P and Ls and and everything else. And I think especially for e-commerce brands and DTC brands, it it, it it's one thing you, you build brand performance. Mm. Um, what's, what's your take on that? How should brands be thinking about it?
1: Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think seeing your post on that, I, I agree that the delineation between these two groups that we love to talk about and love to create this enemy between all oh, the brand people don't really like the performance people or the performance people are just not artists. Don't appreciate yeah. the yeah. storytelling. It just, I think it's a lot of, of just, people making excuses why something's not performing. Um, And the idea that these two things are separated, I think you posted about this pretty clearly. Customers don't see it that way. No one else other than the brand and maybe the agency sees it that way. And so there is so much around where it's on a new concept. Again, I think this is probably 2023 is the year of rediscovery of old principles, but it is about a thoughtfulness that ties every stage of the interaction together. You know, the funnel is overused. We see the triangle all the time. But let's just be honest if more brands actually did that, focused on the entirety of the funnel, there wouldn't be so much chaos between brand people and performance people. Because yeah. um, what's missing, I think, in a lot of these brands and where there's an opportunity is that middle layer, that sense of the consideration. You know, we think about the awareness at the top of funnel. So brands thinking, hey, and they get that. They see the Super Bowl ad that's just about, tell me about the Oreos, tell me about the tires. But then you go down the bottom funnel and you see transactional and it's just like, buy this product, you know, here's a a connection, here's a sale. But this middle of consideration is where all of the good opportunity lives. It is the place where it's harder to measure, but it's where you build loyalty at. It's the answering their questions. It's the considering their their resistance to the product, overcoming some of their resistance to price. All of that happens between the middle of the trust built at awareness and the transaction built at the very bottom of the funnel. And so I think a lot of brands kind of just left the messy middle that space to kind of be figured out. Maybe you know we'll just like they'll figure it out between now and then. And it's where brands should focus on today. I don't think every brand should just jump to top of top of funnel and build like a Super Bowl commercial. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. What I'm saying is instead of being so focused on is this ad as positive all the time and weighing everything to that single metric, thinking more holistically to how are we introducing the product, answering questions that they have, and ultimately building community so that when we buy, get that customer, when they purchase, they refer. They share; they are more valuable to us over the long term, which brings together that CAC and LTV issue we see in brands of the cost of acquiring customers getting higher, so LTV needs to match it. That I think is discovered in consideration in the middle of a funnel. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why I think is a rough estimate of where brands should focus, and a little bit more of where I think it's going in the future.
0: Totally agree. Great answer. That's. that's
1: (laughs) we'll see Um, if it plays out right it's it's still a big year next year
0: (laughs) yeah exactly um so changing changing uh gears slightly you've worked with how many brands
1: over 200 brands
0: okay so when you're working with a new brand or or whatever it might be what are the first what are the first things you look at in maybe in order or not in order when it's when you're trying to understand how to build or develop a, a growth strategy for them.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's one I love. It's why I'm in this space. You know, I think um growth strategists uh don't always get the most attention, we're not the most visually designing and not necessarily the finance people, somewhere the hybrid of the middle. Yeah. And for me, um I am hyper focused, almost obsessive about what is the goal. Uh, in everything in my life, by the way, I'm this way. So it's maybe just a personal issue of, I need to know the goal. I need to know what is the, win, where are we going? Why are we doing this? And so that's typically where I start is a simple question of what is the goal for the brand? And typically I'll phrase it in some sort of kind of dichotomy, something that's going to create tension to make them choose an initiative. Lots of brands will tell me growth, and they want efficiency and we all know as performance marketers that you typically can get both just not the same time you can't always scale and always have efficiency at the exact same moment there's some rare cases like we had recently with one of our brands that you do but those are rare typically it's a sense of there's maybe one we got to focus on first and the other they start with the goal and usually start there are we trying to scale this to get customers in the door Maybe you're a uh, CBG brand trying to be bought by Coca-Cola or PepsiCo and you just need to get customers in the door and show that they stay and you're not that concerned about efficiency. Awesome. Let's do that. Maybe you're more of a hard goods brand where well, you have to make that first purchase profitable because there is no LTV with this brand. Okay, great. Um, but we need to know what the goal is. From there, I typically use a little bit of last year's data to help us understand what could possibly happen next year there's a caveat there, right? When we're forecasting what the brand where they should go and where they should focus, there is a bit of an issue here where the past can't always predict the future because the brand should be changing. Mm. But it is a good baseline. When we're trying to forecast, uh, one of my mentors said this, that it's about where we're importantly wrong. Where are we wrong in, in important ways than where we're right? Because where we're wrong is hopefully things that won't kill us. Things like, for example, one of the forecasts I did recently with the brand, we set it pretty low, actually. It was pretty conservative based on the history of how that brand had gone. They'd been down for most of the year. yeah. And so we forecasted them to be close to baseline, to be back on track to growth, but not up. And in November, we not only erased the deficit, but brought them back to kind of on track to be to last year. And if we continue, we will be in a healthy trajectory to, to be into terms of next year 2023 what they did last year so it's a really fun place to be wrong where i i didn't think we would actually hit that sales goal but the performance of that offer did way better than i could forecast yeah so i look at forecast based on last year last thing i'll say is from there what are the levers i can pull that could be scenarios that i could play so for example if i'm seeing in a brand that they're having really strong TikTok traffic and performance there's an opportunity there to think about, okay, if we double down on creators, what could be possible? If we just use a little bit of history, what could we do in the future? And the goal is to show them where are their opportunities and what are the constraints of those? So they can choose. They can choose their own adventure in that, that way. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a summary. It's a sense of where's the goal, forecasting on last year's revenue, saying here's what you've done last year historically, here's a curve or kind of direction where you could be next in, in this next year. And then, what are some things that are working that where they could win and maybe show some scenarios against that? Uh, yeah. And then highlighting where we're importantly wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And and how important is it? And I kind of know the answer um, to not just be looking at, you know, in platform performance and historical trends, but actually also understanding a brand's margins, a brand's return mm. rates. Do you see what I mean? Like some of these metrics mm-hmm. that I think, you know, I know we prioritize and and, and everything else, how do you, what data points are you looking at as well within the actual ecosystem of the brand versus just their marketing platforms to help you understand, you know, for brands that maybe don't have as much experience of of things, if they're a newer brand, like, Mm -hmm. what would you be looking at?
1: Yeah, I try to tread this lightly because I know it's kind of an intimate question to be like, show me your P&L. It's kind of like, hey, it's the first date and they're asking to yeah. have this intimate look at the business. But, you know, I think it keeps agencies honest about, again, this is a business transaction. You're asking us to grow your business. And so there's a cost that we have. That's a fixed cost of people <laughs> uh, against the opportunity for you. And so uh, so there is a sense that we always want as raw of that information of how do you make money, right? And that comes yeah. down to contribution margin and ultimately your net profit. Like how do you walk out of your dollars in the bank? If you do that, you're gonna be happy with me, I'm gonna be happy with you, all things look great. I think what can happen is brands either don't know their numbers that way. Um, so you maybe talking to your marketing manager who isn't exposed to the PL, doesn't understand where they sit in terms of the profit. That's a very obvious case some more enterprise clients. But on brands that are smaller, where they have a closer understanding, they may not be happy where, where those things are and they want it to be better. So they're afraid to share. So I try to be a bit gentle and say, let me, let me just say our goal is to get you to where you want to go. it may not be today, but we have to have an honest understanding of what today looks like. Um, Ray Dalio says it this way. Like we want to know reality. We want to understand reality. That's the most fair way to navigate life. Yeah. Um, so, but from there, and taking that bottom, what is that number? Typically after we subtract marketing costs, your OpEx, your cost of goods, the bottom profit. We want to say from there, how do we think about growing that or even sacrificing it slightly for the opportunity for future growth? You know, some brands they need to hit a certain threshold and they unlock even more margin. One brand I was talking to, they needed to get a certain number of kind of SKU sets and growth and they could switch to warehouses and drop their costs by 30% which is fantastic, but there is a bar there. All of that translates to more money I can spend, right? As a marketer, as someone on our side, kind of working in the in the agency side, we're spending dollars. And so we need to know how much we can spend and what is my ceiling for that. And that is the determiner of how fast we can go. If I can burn a lot faster up front, go really hard out the gate, it's incredible. And that means I can help support them on some of the growth goals that we have. If cash is tight and cash flow is tight, that limits how much I can spend. Having that awareness with our teams, and and we bring this all the way through the agency, is saying we want to be aware of that limit so that we can be great partners. So we're not putting the brand in a position that breaks the business or limits its ability to work with us in the long term. We want to be connected for years, not just the next six months or just for Black Friday.
0: Meaningful business results, not transactional Service providers, I agree. Um, amazing, yeah. Chris. I've got some rapid-fire questions. Well, kind of rapid-fire. We'll see how rapid they are based on your answers.
1: Yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it short to make it rapid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um Do you think TikTok will get banned in the US? And if so, where will where will creators and users go? What platform will they jump to? Uh,
1: so I don't think it's going to get banned because I think all of the constituents. In the different districts, for senators would rally and rise up. <laughs> and I think it's not in their interest to do that. So I think no. I think there'll be some data protection components that the, that the U.S. will use just because of the yeah. fear of China's growth. Um, but hypothetically speaking, let's say it, it was. Yeah, that's if a fun question. I'm like I'm kind of bullish on YouTube. Now look, it's not the most popular. I know where people would want to go put it in Google, put it back in Instagram maybe Instagram will figure out some sort of product that will work there. Yeah. 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 But I mean, the amount of time people are spending on video and Instagram's a lack of ability to really make reels like take off. I'm kind of saying, look, there could be some YouTube action here that people go on to, um, because it's the second largest search engine and I think it is a huge opportunity. So yeah, I'm kind of saying YouTube moving forward.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna see where the poll ends on on uh, LinkedIn. Reels is winning right now, but I kind of agree. I think I I think you I think YouTube makes a lot of sense. I think maybe some of the barriers around it, if it happens, which I don't think it will either. By the way, I don't think it will. I think data (laughs) protection. Um, But who knows? I think one of the barriers of the YouTube element, though, is 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 its are brands playing there as much as they are TikTok and Instagram when it comes to conversion? Yeah. Uh, do you see what I mean? Because that's where that's yeah. where most of that's where the growth of creators and everything on on uh, on TikTok is coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just land with that part is that I think it's reach also. But the reason why I'm bullish on it and saying that is because I think that considered purchase, that middle layer, that's the growth opportunity. There's a lot that happens on YouTube reviews um how yeah. to use lots of opportunity in the white space that isn't being used i think instagram reels that's fine and that's a place i think people can naturally go instantly but the question is where's the opportunity the arbitrage i think it's there yeah.
0: so yeah agreed okay next question is facebook advertising dead <laughs> absolutely not i mean look it's would, it's would, you would ask a job if it was yeah, I look. I, I, there's just the
1: amount of dollars being spent there. No, I, I think obviously people would love to say it is because Mark laid off fifteen thousand people, whatever the number was, um, and and just that just shows how much money they had at the time. Um, but no, absolutely not. So the best performing channel, hands down, across the boards. You know, no questions asked. That is still winning. Um, there's still there's concerns. That's why everyone's diversifying, but it's still the you know, massive uh, opportunity for brands today.
0: Agreed. Um, you, make, you mentioned Zuckerberg, the metaverse, overhyped yes. nonsense, overhyped nonsense, or the future? <laughs>
1: Oh, maybe not Mark's version. I mean, based on the Oculus Pro, I'm, they don't say sales, but I don't think anyone's buying that. Um, I, I think, I think the, I think here's what's. Let's take the, like the meat, leave the bones. I think the idea of brands investing in digital assets for membership. Yeah, absolutely. Nike's already kind of showing their hand with their with their. Uh, I think thoughts Yeah but i i don't think the idea that we're going to all just live our digital lives is going to be the thing for this next five years i i think yeah. we have some room to go and part of that's a computing problem right it's just not fast enough to support what that would need to look like yeah. now is could i be wrong absolutely uh, maybe someone maybe apple comes up with a great new headset that just pushes everyone over but yeah for now i'm saying mm, bearish on that one okay
0: yeah, I share the same sentiment. Um, okay, quickly, what was, the, what was the number one piece of advice for an e-com operator that you'd give if they're doing under 10 million a year in revenue?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing is just don't read the news. <laughs> Take some <laughs> yeah. time to keep your head down and focus on the best practices. Look, I, if, for, if I had a nickel for every brand, where I say, hey, when's the last time you talked to a customer directly and asked them about their experience? And they say, oh, I haven't talked to them in six months. I, I just It makes me weep inside. Um, look, I'm not an operator the same way that brands are, so I can't bash and say, hey, I've grown this specific brand myself this way. But I can say is I've spent a lot of time with a lot of brands that have won and have grown and have been acquired or scaled, and all of them had this focus, this maniacal focus on customers. Having them in their offices, interviewing them, calling them up, just on the blue, sending them a gift card saying, hey, we'll just... Give you this fifty bucks to Amazon if you tell me more about what you hate about our product. Um, I think that's a huge, huge, huge win. Why? Ad copy—it's the best stuff from the customer's mouth. There's only so much you can get from a review someone typed in, kind of, you know, lazily after an email flow. It's a whole different story if they've had an hour conversation with you, and out of that comes gold a copy. Yeah. Um, so I think I think talking to customers is is underrated. The last, the second thing is I, I wouldn't diversify too quickly. Um, with that complexity, if you have an agency partner that can help you handle the complexity, great diversify, test, try. But I think people burn a lot of money unnecessarily because they're too spread thin on lots of other things. Running a brand itself is hard. Diversifying channels and making them win is hard. Getting learnings and scaling those learnings is ultra hard. And that's what we've spent. I've spent my full-time job doing just doing that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, an opportunity for brands to say, "Look, slow down. Let some other people take the reins on that, and or focus on a few channels. Stay there for now until you can get scale."
0: How would that advice change for brands doing over ten mil? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I would say the idea.
1: One thing is that there was this huge popular push. What last year, two years ago, to in-house everything. And then they realized how expensive that is. (laughs) I think the opportunity is to bring on great partners for specific channels. I am biased. All right, look, shameless plug, come work with us. Um, but I I think it's true though. The economics are really hard to justify having this massive marketing team, uh, especially when you're seeing a recession, potentially a downturn. And so what I would say is, um, I would make it my obsession to find a partner that is creative testing really, really well. Um, there's so much there to learn, even though the platforms are moving to more automated setups. Let's just take a couple of examples. Google's moving to Pmax and Performance Max, right? Basically, fully automated. Advantage Plus, Advantage Shopping Campaigns, almost fully automated. And so, if yeah. creative is really the only lever you have, creative testing now becomes the value out of the agency, not just the creative yeah. you make, but the insights and what to make next. And so I'd say, um, find a part at 10 million, find a partner who can just be your creative testing engine and push you while you focus on evergreen and keeping the business lights on. They should be challenging the status quo for you.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, dude, it's called bite size. So we've got to wrap it up because it's meant to be uh, snacka- <laughs> snackable content, but we could talk for hours. Uh, there's so yeah. much there when it comes to creators, creative testing, we'll have to do a, a separate session on it, but, um, really appreciate you jumping on. And uh, and- absolutely, and- it's
1: my pleasure, and uh, it's always fun to uh, to challenge the the, the norms and what's happening next. You know, look, I was thinking we would disagree on something, but you know, maybe next one we'll talk about where sure we disagree. Actually, sure. maybe, maybe to we'll land on one thing that we disagree on um, uh, fear of God or represent.
0: Oh shit. I Which can't do on. that to me. That's like, that's like picking a yeah. favorite child. I can't. Choose a baby. Choose no, a baby. I can't. I can't, I can't do it.
1: Oh man. <laughs> okay. Well, you heard it here folks. Uh, you can't choose. So <laughs> I,
0: know. I, lo- I love them. I love them both. Dearly, dearly. All right, bro. Good. Appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks.